Kids safe, mother approved. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Stars could shine between the lines If you would let yourself go Find some place you know You can use your words, use your hands You can change the world, just pretend Express yourself, take a chance and you'll see It's time to express yourself, where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Condemn not, quote, non intelligent. And in Latin, that means they condemn because they do not understand. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself, for a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on Voice America Kids Network. I'm Zara Hosnane, and today the theme for our show is the gift of understanding. And I'm Maria Wong. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions and brought to you as an outreach service of Be the Star You Are Charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. Before we begin, we want to give a shout out of thanks to the sponsors of our Be the Star You Are booth at the recent Pear Festival, which include MB Jesse Painting at www.mbjesse.com. Star Style Productions at www.starstyleproductions.com, Lamarinda Weekly Newspaper at www.lamarindaweekly.com, and Brooks Olbrise at www.blueoceanbob.com. And a big thank you to our event coordinator, Chelsea Pelchett, for organizing the event. To be a sponsor, volunteer, or get more information about our future events, go to www.bethestarur.org and click on events. Now, normally today, our health rap reporter, Alex Polakos, would be with us, but Alex got stuck working on ex- an experiment at UCSF um, Petrish Lab. So, um, fortunately for us, his brother, um, Jack, is subbing in for him. Jack is currently in eighth grade um, at Joaquin Moraga Middle School. He enjoys music and has been playing blues harmonica for over five years. And in 2015, he was awarded a youth recipient grant for the Society for the Preservation and Advancement of the Harmonica. He likes to spend time with friends and hike outdoors. Let's welcome Jack to express yourself. Hi, Jack. So you're subbing in for your older brother for the gift of understanding. And um, we understand that you're pretty skilled at this already because you were with us last week too and you seem to be a natural. So it's good to have you back. Thank you. So, I'm Jack Palacos, and I'm filling in for my brother Alex, and this is a health round. So, like we said earlier, the theme of tonight's show is the gift of understanding. This is yet another perfect theme for the health wrap because one of the most important things regarding your health is your understanding of your medical condition or illness and understanding the treatment for that condition. Um, it used to be that someone would go to the doctor and the doctor would make a diagnosis and prescribe that medication or any other treatments. The patient would then accept this, go home, and hopefully follow the treatment guidelines. However, now there's a real push in the medical business to make sure that the physician is taking the time to involve the patient in the process and educate the patient about the condition and medication. In fact, many public and private healthcare organizations are trying to come up with better strategies to get their health uh, and their patients involved in their own healthcare. The key is helping the patient understand about his or her own health. 
Doctors and other go- other medical providers are finding over and over again that patients are way better off when they have a better understanding about their condition or illness. Um, for one thing, when patients understand their condition, it tends to help them become more engaged in their treatment. As a result, doctors are seeing that more patients understand about their condition and are more likely to follow the treatment plan. That's great. And when they are better at following the treatment plan, their outcome is better. In most cases, the patient winds up paying lower costs, and because they aren't constantly going back to the doctor for the same condition, they heal quicker. Um, to give an example of the importance of patient understanding, we, t- we, t- we can take a look at diabetes. This is a serious disease where your body is not able to regulate your blood sugar levels or your glucose levels. Um, your glucose levels is the amount of glucose in your body. Um, having too much or too little glucose in your blood can actually lead, lead to sickness or other health problems. In the long run, not controlling diabetes can also damage blood vessels and blood that's uh, and the blood supply to important organs like the heart, kidneys, eyes, and other nerves. This means that heart disease, stroke, kidney disease, vision problems, and nerve problems can happen to people with diabetes. Um, unfortunately, many of the patients who have diabetes don't take the medicines as directed, and they don't follow the meal plan, exercise regularly, and don't check their blood pressure levels often enough. This can lead to critical the critical conditions that put them in the emergency room. However, doctors are discovering that by helping the patient really understand what diseases like diabetes is all about and explaining the process of their disease, uh, the patient will become more engaged and they'll make better decisions about their medication and hopefully follow it better. Um, Doctors also found that helping a patient understand what is going on with their disease is much more effective than just giving them a list of of what they cannot do or what they need to do with no explanation of why they need to do it. In addition, doctors and other healthcare providers found that the more the patient understands about their disease, the better they are at taking their medication. Uh, Overall, the more you understand about your health, health, especially if you're if you have a crippling condition or illness, the more likely you are to follow treatment plans and really engage in your recovery. The more you understand, the more motivated you are to participate in your own health care, not just by following your treatment, but by doing other things that keep you healthy that the doctor recommends. Things like eating well, exercising, and getting plenty of sleep all are results of understanding your condition. The gift of understanding plays a big part in having a healthy life. Great. Um, Jack, we were wondering, are there any other additional benefits that happen when a patient gets more understanding about their condition? Um, As a matter of fact, it's not just about patients taking better care of themselves when they understand about their condition. The more a patient understands about their condition, the less likely they are to keep going back to the emergency room or to their doctor. If a patient thoroughly understands about their treatment and what they must do, they're more, they're much more likely to actually do it and, in turn, get better faster. All of this will save time and money for both the patient and the healthcare provider. Since rising healthcare costs are a real big problem in America, saving time and money is a big deal. Especially, I would agree with that. And I think it's really cool how, like, now we have the internet 
I know my family uses like we have Kaiser and we can talk to our doctors online. So you don't necessarily have to go in, but you still get that information and understanding. Right. Yeah. I totally agree with that too. You know, they have like WebMD and you can like, you can even do like phone. I mean, I think this has always been a thing, but like, you know, you can do like phone appointments and stuff like that. Um, And also just like, yeah, with all that information out there, it's like, you know, it's really nice to know that it's all like accessible and available to everyone. But at the same time, I always kind of worry that people will like um, kind of, you know, like people will come to conclusions, not necessarily based off of like medical fact, but just something that they just like read or read off the internet. So they might like go into the doctor's office and kind of like try to diagnose themselves and kind of like do it wrong. But then also I think they're right because they read all this stuff on the internet. So like, um, Jacqueline, what do you think about that? You know, do you think with all this like understanding and with all this like information that we have, we should be kind of like responsible with it? Do you think there's like a way we can use the information for better rather than for worse and like instead of like misinterpreting the information like using it for good um well um it's healthcare providers used to kind of just hand the patient a stack of papers to read about their condition and their treatment but many patients either were too lazy to read them or they didn't understand the medical jargon because some of the words are pretty complicated and the majority of people don't understand what they mean. Um, but, however, this isn't the case anymore. Now doctors are actually trying to review the, the information with the patient face-to-face to ensure that he understands the instructions and is able to ask and ask or answer any questions that the patients ask. Um, not only that, but the doctors make sure that the educational material is customized for each individual patient. For example, if they were giving this information to someone younger who has little medical experience, they may make it easier to understand. However, if they were giving it to somebody who had previous medical experience, they may um, make it a little bit more complicated because the other person could understand it. Another area that's really showing promise to using, is using technology to remind patients when to take medication and how. If a patient understands the importance of medication, they may forget and not understand how critical it is to take it. Um, new technology is allowing healthcare providers to create text or mobile apps that will remind the patient to read those prescriptions or to take the medications. In addition, if the patient has any questions about what they need to do, the, doc- the doctor can email them or they can email the doctor and they can have a conversation without without scheduling appointment or wasting time and money. This is very important to recovering quicker and having a happy and healthy life. Great. Yeah, I definitely agree with all of that. Just like with new technology, um, that reminded me like when my grandma was still alive, like she would often forget to take her medication. So having new technology or just constant reminders for that, I think is really like integral to maintaining um, good health. Yeah, I totally agree as well. Um, I think like, um, you know, it's really important to like leave it up to the experts, but I think at the same time, it's really great that we have all this information. We are able to like um, contribute to our own diagnoses and contribute to our health as well. Um, so yeah, well, thank you, Jack, so much for that great segment. It's always um, a pleasure to hear the health wrap and learn more about how we can improve our health and um, our healthcare system. Um, and thanks for subbing in for your brother again. And maybe you should consider joining our team also because, you know, you're so good at this. Um, 
So unfortunately, we are out of time, but in the next segment, we will be um, discussing the power of understanding again during the break. Be sure to check out our charity site at btsya.org, which stands for Be the Star You Are, 501c3 Literacy and Positive Media Charity. I'm Zara Hosnane. And I'm Maria Wong. Support our show and these amazing segments by donating to the Be the Star You Are charity that brings you this program. For more information on how to do this, go to www.bethestarur.org and follow our blog. Again, that website is www.bethestarur.org. Don't go anywhere as we continue our talk about the gift of understanding. Listen, the later it gets. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The positive message outreach program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. We didn't invent Kid Talk. We perfected it. And at a very young age, you're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to our uplifting, inspiring program. I'm Zara Hassanay, and you are listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids Network, brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity. This week's topic is the gift of understanding. And I'm Maria Wong. Joining us today is Chuck Huber. Chuck Huber started acting in anime in the roles of Garlic Jr. and Android 17 in Dragon Ball Z. Since then, he has voiced hundreds of characters, including Hia and Yu Yu Hakushu, Show Stein and Soul Eater, Kalulu and Sergeant Frog, Moji and One Piece, Shao Tucker and Full Metal Alchemist, Han and Blue Gender, Hiro and Shin Khan, Ash, Ash and Black Butler, Reaver and D Gray Man, Hector and Glass Fleet, and many more. He has also been a writer on Hitalia, Sergeant Frog, Bacano, Spice, and Wolf, and others. Video games Chuck has contributed voices for include Borderlands 2. Ghostbusters, The Walking Dead, Aeon Flux, Dragon Ball Z, and more. Hello, Chuck. Hi. You did. You had the, the you had the work there, getting all those names in right. Oh my god. <laughs> that was awesome. You, I'd say I give you a like a like a high B. I'm giving you a B plus in all the Japanese. Thank you. Things. I appreciate Ooh, nice. that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Um, so starting off, just where did you grow up? Oh, I grew up in uh, Chicago and a small town outside of Milwaukee called Mequon, Wisconsin. And then my mom got remarried and we moved to uh, North Texas, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, where I spent junior high through like senior year. And then I went back to Chicago for uh, college at DePaul University. And then about 10 years later, moved back to North Texas. So I'm in Fort Worth, Texas right now. That's my whole moving history. 
Ooh, awesome. Yeah, it seems like you've been, you know, in the South and Midwest for most of your life. So um, how did you, you know, just growing up in the South and Midwest um, and just growing up as a regular kid, how did you get involved in voice acting and anime specifically? Yeah, well, I was an actor from the time I can remember. I mean, that was always mm. the thing I wanted to do. We, we did puppet shows as kids. We played charades. We were always trying out different accents when somebody would call the, the home phone at dinner time. The big joke was... <laughs> convinced them they had called the uh, I don't know I'm sorry you've called someone from England and <laughs> someone would have a British dialect and they're like no I'm looking for Judy is Judy Huber there and you'd be like, no, I'm sorry I'm afraid you've got the wrong number and then they call back and you'd be like yes it's very important Dimitri's auto body shop I am ready to fix your car be, you know so acting was always what I wanted to do and then I was uh, in the North Texas area, uh, 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 I had a theater company, and my buddy came into rehearsals, and he was like, hey, you should go audition for this Dragon Balls thing. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I'll audition for that. And I didn't know it was like, um, I didn't know, I didn't think it was real, because when Funimation, which is the, the company that does most of the anime dub work in the industry, um, and for those of you who don't know, anime is a uh, cartoons basically made in Japan and all my anime fans are punching me right now for calling them cartoons. It's off <laughs> Japan that we get the, the joy and pleasure and honor of uh, getting to contribute our voices to. So yeah, I, I started working at Funimation just on uh, you know a friend t- giving me a tip on an audition and that's how all my voice work started. Wow, so um, did you ever watch anime before or was it something completely foreign to you? No, it wasn't. Well, no, it wasn't foreign to me. Uh, I had watched uh, uh, Speed Racer, uh, Star Blazers, G-Force, a bunch of the the ones that I could see as a kid when I'd come home from school. They were like from 2.30 to 4.30. There was some awesome anime on television. Uh, (laughs) Back when there was just one television and you had to be at the right place at the right time to see it. I know it sounds impossible to exist with such entertainment but yeah uh so yeah i knew what anime was and then in college we used to watch uh there was a video store where we used to rent uh anime like sort of a a shishi arty video store so i was aware of it but then i was uh the first anime i did was dragon ball z which is a very uh specific type of anime it's a fighting anime um with lots of really awesome sort of heroes and battles and that wasn't sort of my cup of tea of anime, so I didn't really equate it with real anime, and I certainly didn't know how popular it was in Japan. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, just from <laughs> from the couple minutes that you've been talking and all the voices that you've done, it sounds like you're a pretty fun-loving person. Um, so, you know, um, why is it that, I mean, why is it that you like, um, or do you like, um, like voice acting for, like, more dramatic characters or more, like, funny, like, kind of over-the-top characters? The great thing about voice acting is that when I do television or film work or theater work, I'm very much constrained by what I look like. And right now I look like a, you know, uh, a dad with a beard. (laughs) And if you're a dad with a beard, you're going to be cast as a dad with a beard. Or Mm. in my case, probably a dad with a beard with a dark past and and maybe he's (laughs) alien. I don't know. But uh, when you're in anime, you get to play all these different, you know, characters that you don't, you know, I've played short sort of demons. I've played little aliens. I've played giant dragon creatures. You know, you get to 
sort of run the gamut of what what you could do character-wise that you'd never be allowed to in, in uh, sort of the film and TV world. So it was it was really fun to get. You get to cut loose and do do stuff uh, acting-wise that I don't think you really get to do any other place. Exactly. I feel like you have such, um, from what you've told us, like a variety of roles. But do you have a preference in voicing more dramatic or humorous characters? No, I am a, uh, I'm an actor, so I am paid to show up and work. <laughs> the only thing I didn't like, I, I pretty much don't have any limitations. Uh, if I had to pick a favorite to do, the only favorite yes. I could pick would be Shakespeare. Uh, like if you said, Chuck, you mm. have to pick one thing to act in for the rest of your life, I would uh, immediately say without reservation that I would do the, you know, Shakespeare's plays and characters for the rest of my life on stage. It's probably one of my favorite things to do. Wow, that's like really interesting because, you know, you don't always think that like anime and Shakespeare, are, you know, that related, you don't really make that immediate connection. So how did you, I mean, well, first of all, was Shakespeare like your first kind of love for acting or like how did you go from like that kind of acting to like anime acting like how did you make that transition yeah the interesting thing is that as actors we're always doing hundreds of different jobs at the same time we're we're producers we're directors we're writers we're uh you know we work in television we work in film we work on stage we put on you know costume character you know <laughs> when yeah. mar- march in a parade i think my first job <laughs> i was a i was a rat for an exterminating company in a parade. And I got paid $50 to walk for three hours in the Texas sun in a rat costume. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, so that was my first paid gig. But um, yeah, there's a Shakespeare company in town here called Trinity Shakespeare at uh, on the campus of TCU. And I've done uh, four plays with them. And they um, Shakespeare and, and stage work is something that you can do concurrently with all these other things. As a matter of fact, when I was doing the anime work uh, with Funimation, I was, uh, for about a period of five years, I was also a principal of a small private school with like 200 students, uh, uh, oh. three of three of whom were my, my own children as well. So I was, you know, sort of <laughs> oh, uh, nice. doing double duty as dad slash principal. But yeah, we, we tend as actors to have a lot of different jobs and um, Making a transition from Shakespeare to anime, though, really isn't a problem. Anime is very heightened, uh, like Shakespeare is. Yeah, that's really interesting. Do, by chance, could you do some Shakespeare for us? Oh my gosh, you're putting <laughs> me on the spot. Okay, what I'll do is I'll do the to be or not to be speech, okay. but I'll do it in the oh, voice. Yeah. <laughs> do it in the voice of Garlic Jr., who is a short alien with a sort of megalomaniac designs on the universe. <laughs> To be or not to be, this is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or I'm being pushed into the dead zone. There you go. That's how you get. It. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, I can safely say that's like the weirdest, like, and also the coolest voice I've heard on radio ever. Um, um, so, like. You know, okay, well, it's pretty clear to us now that, you know, you have all these talents for this talent for voice acting, but you also talked about how, you know, as an actor, you have to do, you have to act, you have to write, you have to do all this stuff. So do you have a preference for, you know, out of acting, writing and like directing, which one you like better? Uh, Probably directing. I've directed uh, uh, on film several times and my most recent film, Arbor Day the Musical, was on. 
Amazon Prime right now, and it's a it's a wonderful wonderful musical comedy. It'll lift your heart and spirit, and <laughs> you'll just feel so happy watching it. <laughs> it's also a musical comedy that uh, the subject matter is September 11th. I know there oh, aren't wow. many musical comedies about <laughs> September 11th, and I think I'm the only musical comedy about September 11th. So how do you like make something as like grave as like September 11th, like that event? How do you make it like funny and how do you turn that into a comedy? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I always call it a comedy. It's more of a dramedy. It takes the it takes mm. the subject of the day very seriously, but it puts all the sort of different viewpoints uh, about that day into sort of a melting pot. It's about a theater director who is trying to mount the first September 11th stage musical. So it's kind of like a... Waiting for Guffman. I don't know if you've seen that or, or this is Spinal Tap. It's sort of shot mm, in a okay. documentary style. I think it's very serious at points and it gets very uh, absurd at points. Um, the, the most wonderful thing that happened since its release is that people who were sure they were going to hate the movie uh, ended up really loving it. And uh, it, it tends to hit um, sort of a, a, a very narrow spot where it, it I like to say that watching the movie helps people sort of heal from that day regardless of what they experienced mm. yeah mm, yeah I think that's really interesting um and you know um I think with something like dramedy like with a mix when you like mix those two genres um you can also like it also just really helps you learn more about yourself learn about your more humorous side learn about you know your dramatic side your deeper side or whatever you want to call it um, so do you think that in general there's, you know, there's some special and unique lessons that you can learn from, like, fictional characters that, that you can learn from, like, a genre like dramedy? Yeah, you know, the, the interesting thing is I sort of had, for Arbor Day, I had a uh, a vision for it. And as I added more and more actors to it, their visions were different. And the movie sort of had to adjust itself to include you know, their viewpoints. And in the process of making it, everybody got to understand each other a little better. And I, I hope, I my thing with, with art or with film is uh, uh, theater is that we should be, we should be trying to reveal what is truly going on either in a relationship, in a family, in a country, in a reality, you know, that the, the, the job of art is to entertain, but it's also to reveal. And I like right. uh, that as sort of a, a, a focal point for my artwork. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you so much for that amazing conversation. That was definitely very entertaining. For more information on Chuck, <laughs> for more information on Chuck and what he does, go to www.chuckhuber.org and visit his Twitter at, at Chuck underscore Huber. During the break, everyone, be sure to check out our brand new radio site at expressyourselfteenradio.com for photos, descriptions, links, and more. Also, please visit our charity site at bethestarur.org and watch our fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash bethestarur. Stay right here as we continue our discussion with Chuck. Sometimes we may sound strange, but remember, we're just kids with opinions. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Show the world your smile Be the star you are If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. 
live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, teens talk and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. We don't care how you got here. We're just glad you showed up. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thank you for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. Our program is Express Yourself, giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. Today's topic is the gift of understanding. I'm Zara Hassanin. And I'm Maria. For this segment, we are back with Chuck Huber. In addition to his voice acting, as a filmmaker, Chuck has acted, produced, written, and directed for Arbor Day the Musical, The Prince Adventures, The Troubadours, The Fragility of Seconds, The Mechanical Grave, Odd Man Out, among others. As we were talking about, he began acting in Chicago at the Goodman Theater, Court Theater, Steppenwolf Theater after graduating from DePaul University, and he continues to work on stages in the Dallas and Fort Worth area. Most recently, he played Hugh Jamieson in the movie Parkland, produced by Tom Hanks and starring Billy Bob Thornton and Paul Giamatti. He plays the Russian bad guy, Colonel Kashoid, in the upcoming movie... Amerageddon. Yes, American and directed by Mike Norris, the son of Chuck Norris. And he plays also the doc- Dr. McCoy in Star Trek Continues and Dean Hansen on season two of American Crime on ABC. Welcome back, Chuck. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, going back to talking about Arbor Day the musical, where did sure. you get this? I'm just curious, where did you get this idea from? And um, I know it's sort of formed like with these other actors, but... How did the final product differ from what you were um, thinking of at the beginning? Yeah, the um, uh, the idea formed because, I don't know, there's just a lot of things that happen in the world and they end up getting yes. used in certain ways to manipulate or motivate. Or uh, I basically feel like um, uh, as artists, we need to banish the fear that uh, media puts into us. A lot of times I think... Uh, they're motivated, uh, you know, uh, almost expressly by trying to keep us afraid. And right. um, so I had a big fear, uh, you know, living through that day and then seeing all the sort of aftermath of it um, and the different sort of ideas and positions around it, that it, 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 uh, it I was compelled to dispel the fear. And uh, I happen to have a friend whose uh, father was the highest ranking military officer killed at the Pentagon. So oh my I knew gosh. I could oh, yeah, wow. I, I could 
I, I couldn't pitch to all the victims' family members, um, you know, because it's a serious topic. And yes. uh, but I could pitch to her. So I went to D.C. and she showed me her dad's grave. That's where we met. And then we went to uh, the Pentagon Memorial. And then I pitched her my movie. And and for her, the 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 gold of the movie was that it would um, tear down the myth of that day because to her, it's just the day her dad died and. You know, for politicians and world leaders and different groups, it becomes a football to be used in sort of different political conversations. And and my goal with it was to take away that football. Uh, And I think comedy is the most effective way to uh, sort of destroy a myth. It's really hard to Mm, yeah. uh, It's really hard to keep keep a myth if if the you know the the populace can laugh at it. Yeah. No, that definitely makes sense. I think like. Or, well, do you think that, you know, like, emphasizing kind of the positivity and the um, kind of, like, like satirizing things, do you think, just, like, relating this back to our theme for today, the gift of understanding, do you think that helps us understand each other more than, say, like, you know, the politics of fear that we're seeing these days and, like, kind of, like, harping on that fear and stuff like that? Yeah, it, uh, the, the thing that happens with fear is fear is a triggering of the... Uh, the amygdala, the adrenal um, uh, cortex, you know, it it floods your body with these chemicals that allow you to run really fast and lift things. And, uh, you know, and and, um, like fear is only useful for avoiding lions attacking you or things falling on you. Or if you're on the Mm -hmm. edge of a cliff, you know, fear helps you focus. If you're a police officer, fear can get too, you know, too focused and you get a narrow tunnel vision, but they learn to harness that and they become very effective. Um, so to me, dispelling fear is the, um, the way to get to understanding because the only reason people don't try to understand each other is because they have a fear. Typically, right. they're afraid from some trauma or some abuse or some way that they were harmed in the past. And so there's a lack of understanding. And even if one person is going to be understanding, it takes both people letting or setting aside their fears for there to be true understanding. If one person is still going to be locked in fear, one person, the other person can be understanding. And there's going to be no sort of new communication, but at least there's going to be no more damage from a lack of understanding. So if you banish fear, you're able to either be a sort of stopgap against more division or uh, you get to open the conversation to actual uh, uh, seeing and understanding what it's like to be in the other person's shoes. No, exactly. Like going back to just how recently media has sort of manipulated its position of informing us on news and feeding into this fear. Um, I think like the Arbor Day, Arbor Day the musical or other art pieces like this, um, they sort of lead to an emotional catharsis for a lot of people being able to let out these feelings of fear. And I just think it's a really great thing that we're able to do with art and as artists. Yeah. My, um, one of my dearest friends who's, uh, a professional screenwriter and um, she she absolutely refuses to watch the movie because of the she was in New York on that day and, and the day damaged oh. her so much that she you know she's a dear she's one of my best friends I've known forever two of my best friends have a very serious time that they feel like they cannot watch the movie because of how hurt they were by that day and they're afraid of what the movie might 
say to them that would upset them and what they're afraid of. They're afraid I made a movie that's going to make them hate me and they want to be my friend still. <laughs> so they're like, yeah. the friendship's more important than the movie. So they're like, oh, we love you, Chuck. We're not going to watch the movie because we'd prefer to stay friends with you. And there's a chance we might hate you for your movie. I don't think they would. I think they'd love it and they'd laugh and they'd understand. But um, I respect their choice. I respect anybody's choice. It's the first thing a filmmaker has to do. They have to understand that some people just aren't going to want to watch your movie. And if mm-hmm. I, especially a movie like Arbor Day, I fully you know, affirm anybody's right not to watch it. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, just speaking, speaking of movies, um, how do you think acting in movies is, um, how it compares to solely voice acting for like a television series? Yeah, they're, they're similar in some ways. Uh, the, probably the best thing about voice acting is that you do not have makeup, you do not have costume, you are in a booth by yourself, and you're only acting maybe one or two lines, maybe three or four, sometimes five or six lines at a time. Um, so the pressure is... is uh, uh, probably about as light, and it's still a lot of pressure, but it's probably the least amount of pressure you can possibly make on mm. an actor, unless they're in a rat costume in a parade. That's really not <laughs> but, but yeah, for sure, the, um, you, you get to walk in in your shorts and your T-shirt and your hair messed up, holding a cup of coffee, and you get to act in these really short bursts. Whereas in like television or film, you are, you got to be there early and then you're in the makeup chair and then you're in wardrobe and then you sit in a, a tra- trailer or a honey wagon, as they call them, little tiny sort of like cocoons they stick you in for hours Aww. so they need you <laughs> on that. And then they come get you and then you go, uh, you know, and you wait and, and film acting has a lot of patience to it. Um, and for mm. like uh, network stuff, you, you're just sitting around a lot, quite honestly. And then um, uh, you, you, uh, when you do get to like act, fully act a scene, you have to know the whole thing from start to finish and you're acting with other actors. And that can be a lot of fun, um, having other people to deal with. But, you know, occasionally the, the scene is about you and there's 80 people watching, you know, they've just held traffic and there's a helicopter coming in and <laughs> you've got to get your lines right or whatever. Uh, uh-huh. So that, that has a different sort of pressure to it. Hmm, yeah, they're both, I, they're both fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. just like working. Yeah, right. I think it's pretty great when your work is fun and you actually enjoy what you're doing. But um, you know, and you talked a lot about how like, um, you know, it's like kind of more. Some things are more low stress than other things. But um, I'm curious specifically about have you ever like um been stressed out because you've like received any like backlash for being like a white man playing like a Japanese character in anime or has that? Uh, No, typically they, they kind of accept that there is a cross cultural thing that happens when anime gets dubbed in America. Yeah. Japanese people, but there's really not that many Japanese actors in the Dallas Fort Worth area. I'm pretty pretty (laughs) with all the actors here. Uh, there's there's not a lot of Asian actors. Well, no, I'm going to get in trouble for that. There's probably a bunch of Asian actors who will be tweeting me shortly saying that they are here in the DFW area and I need to know this. <laughs> I will fully affirm and agree that I don't know what it's like to be an Asian actor. I only know what it's like to be a, a you know regular white guy actor. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that's an important thing for understanding when it comes to like the whole race issue that's going on, like in the world in general. Like as uh, like a regular white dude, I can have opinions, but I have to really sort of defer to the people who are in the situation and say, I don't yeah. understand what it's like. Um, but as far as backlash for playing these characters, no, not at all. Not not even once. People just love the anime. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's really great because, you know, it also always goes back to the art. And I think it's, you know, good that, like, you know, people understand that you have to understand each other and you have to ever have respect, but you also can kind of bond around this um, common um, art form. So um, on, like, a kind of different subject, has there been, like, a favorite production that you voice acted for? Uh, I usually say uh, there was uh, Hiei in Yu Yu Hakusho was sort of the second big property I worked on. And it was the first time I ever went to a convention. And I had no idea how popular anime had become. And they said I was going to be signing autographs. And I thought they were silly. I thought they were stupid, actually. I thought they didn't (laughs) understand how things worked. And um, then they took me to a convention and I signed autographs for four hours. I went from signing no autographs in my life, thinking I was like there for promotional purposes only, like I was going to be passing out flyers or something. And then I... had to sit there and had to I got to sit there and sign autographs (laughs) for four hours and meet all these you know sort of awesome fans who you know reminded me of uh, all my friends when I was in high school so yeah I know that's definitely an awesome experience so like you know what was it like to meet your fans and kind Uh, of get like um, outside of that whole you know like acting world yeah, it's interesting because it's a whole it's a whole support base. I feel like the fans are my boss um, because they really uh, they 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 gave me a career. The fact that I'm able to go to conventions and meet fans um, allows me the freedom as an actor to uh, not have to audition for uh, commercial and industrial work, so that I just get to pick and choose what I want to do. Um, so my fans are really my boss. They're the ones who who. Uh, support me and and keep giving me a career so uh you know it was fun I got to meet my bosses all of them yeah 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 I think that yeah that's really great and so thank you so much again for this wonderful um conversation during the break everyone we are out of time unfortunately but thank you for um joining us today Chuck um during the break be sure to check out our charity site at be the star you are.org which stands btsya.org which stands for be the star you are 501 c3 literacy and positive media charity more info under events at our website at www.bethestarurbtsya.org I'm Zara Hassanane and I'm Maria Wong. Visit www.expressyourselfteenradio for more information about our show. Thank you so much, Chuck, for all of your time. Um, please be sure to check him out at chuckhuber.org. When we come back, we will continue our inspiring conversation on the gift of understanding. You're listening to Voice America Kids, now with 33% more active ingredients and no artificial coloring. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. 
Kids safe, mother approved. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thank you for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. Our program is Express Yourself, and I'm Zara Hassanade. I'm Maria Wong. Today, our theme for the show is the gift of understanding us. Joining us today is our wonderful reporter, Joven Hundle. Hi, Joven. Hi. Excited to be returning again to Express Yourself. And now, for this gift of understanding themed edition of my segment, World Watch, the idea came to me to touch upon some ideas and people that were not appreciated in their time and how they've each shaped the world we live in today. When talking about things and people not originally recognized for their brilliance, the one event that you can't not bring up is the old debate that happened centuries ago about the center of our solar system. We can unequivocally confirm today that the sun is indeed the center of our solar system, but for millennia, this was not actually believed to be the case. Instead, scientists told us that Earth was the center of our solar system, that the sun and all other planets revolved around us. Not only that, Earth was actually apparently supposed to be the center of the entire universe, aka literally everything that has (laughs) ever existed. (laughs) However, uh, when scientists originally theorized that the sun and not the earth was the center of the solar system, their findings were either ignored, denounced, or suppressed. The first instance that we know of prominent support for the sun being the solar system center was a Greek astronomer in the 3rd century BCE named Aristarchus. We would be utterly oblivious to anything about him if it weren't for him actually receiving a few mentions in the famous Greek mathematician Archimedes' novels. Now, his ideas gained little to no traction, and for the next 2,000 years, it was widely accepted as fact that that the Earth was the center of the universe, as this was a view advanced by more famed Greek scholars such as Aristotle and Ptolemy. Finally, in the 1500s, Nicholas Copernicus published his magnum opus, in which he showed the world his model for our solar system, which actually provides the basis for our model today. This was swiftly denounced by religious leaders, who argued that this went against all uh, prior written texts. This was a major breakthrough for the scientific revolution, and the findings of Copernicus were later backed up by notable scientists such as Kepler and Galileo. Galileo, in particular, was very much persecuted for his scientific activism. Now, after Copernicus published his um, findings on the solar system, he actually died um, pretty soon after. However, Galileo, he was very persecuted for publishing his support of Copernicus' theories, and he actually ended up getting placed in house arrest for much of the later portion of his life. Now, these scientists provided us with the basis for modern astronomy, and they were so clearly ahead of their time that one might even say they're a little too far ahead of their time. Uh, 
Uh, and while that's the most known occurrence of individuals not being recognized when they should have been, there are actually many more examples of other people that are famous today whose works were not even acknowledged in their times. One of the most famous artists of all time, Vincent van Gogh, who's painted such notable works such as The Starry Night, only ever sold one painting in his lifetime. That's right, just one. Today, his paintings would send, sell for millions and millions of dollars, but he only actually sold one in his lifetime. And he was plagued by mental illness for, much, for his entire life, and he famously cut off his ear in a rage once. After learning that his brother could no longer support him financially, Van Gogh actually went on to commit suicide before even the age of 40. Today, he is world-renowned as one of the greatest artists of all time. And contrary to other visionaries, such as Leonardo da Vinci, Van Gogh was only ever appreciated centuries after his lifetime, and is one of the founders of modern art. Two other icons who would certainly also fit this bill would be Edgar Allan Poe and Bach. We know Poe to be one of the greatest American writers of all time. Yet, in the 1800s, he could barely make enough money to support himself. Works such as The Raven are forever ingrained in our mind now, something that probably would not have ever even occurred to, that would happen to Poe back then. Now, things, uh, stories such as The Raven that Poe write, wrote were actually circulated wildly, but he received little to no money on this and was in poverty for much of his life. Likewise, Bach is known as one of the most... Uh, known figures internationally when talking about music. Now, well, however, he was only known for his playing abilities during his lifetime. The works he composed, his legacy today, his life's work, only found itself present in music long after its death. Now, it's fascinating to see just how many geniuses weren't understood there during their time, and it makes someone wonder, are there any people like that living today? Wow, Jovan, that was insanely interesting. I actually like this is like an extremely creative segment. I feel like, and I think it, um, yeah, and I think it really under um, kind of like relates to our theme of the gift of understanding as well. Because you know, um, I feel like a lot of the people that you talked about, whether it's Van Gogh or Poe, they it seems like they were kind of misunderstood in their yeah, lifetimes. Exactly. Yeah, and so I think you know maybe I don't know, just like a little bit of you know maybe philosophy here but maybe it's because like you know these people were kind of great people but maybe greatness is kind of a lonely state as well so do you think um so you know just personally would you um rather be understood in your lifetime for your work and be recognized as this great figure um and have that kind of like you know grand legacy to leave for the or you know have like a present day legacy or would you rather like not be understood in your lifetime and then like leave behind a like long lasting legacy that might be discovered years later hmm, that's an interesting question you know i would probably uh so a lot of these geniuses how you're talking about legacy and stuff so they do like uh during their lifetime uh when they weren't recognized as much but now when they're one quite literally one of the most famous uh, scholars of all time, so I would definitely probably go with that. And it's interesting to note because people such as Leonardo da Vinci, they were actually uh, very famous during their time, and he was a very prominent scholar. He was employed by monarchs, and he had a school where he taught uh, many other 
famous people who would grow up to be famous scholars. And so right. the thing is funny about that because while he was so while he was very famous during his lifetime, his legacy lampooned far bigger than probably anyone could have ever imagined. And he's known as one of the most intelligent people of all time today. So I mean, I guess you could have a little best of both worlds there. No, exactly. But I think it like really depends on like person's luck at that time like you see that with da vinci he definitely like scored big being recognized during his time and afterwards but i think like going back to your question are there people like that living today i think just like there's probably so many brilliant people out there who just aren't getting um the attention they need or the education they need to continue yeah yeah i think it definitely has to do a lot with like opportunity and i also think it has to do with you know um kind of um just like, yeah, just opportunity and also just like what you define like appreciation as. So, you know, some people no, might exactly. actually. Yeah. For and sure. so, you know, um, I don't know. Have you guys read like East of Eden? I've have wanted to. No, forever. Yeah. Well, um, basically in the book, there's like this guy, Samuel Hamilton, and he's really good at like inventing things and he's really inventing things and he's like really talented. Um, but he kind of like chooses to live like a humble life because, you know, he doesn't want to like risk everything he doesn't want to lose like the kind of warmth and companionship of his current life um so I think you know a lot of it yeah yeah so yeah I think a lot of it is um you know maybe people are kind of afraid to like you know let the world like show the world like you know uh, their talents yeah, yeah. You, you saying that actually reminds me of this thing. So we actually just read uh, A Tale of Two Cities in my uh, English oh, class. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay, nice. And it reminds me of, like, this character, Sidney Carton, who's brilliant, but he mm-hmm. takes a back seat, and he's only just basically just an aide to a lawyer, Striver, who isn't very gent by himself. <laughs> And he basically relies on Carton to win all his cases, but Carton just doesn't want any of the glory. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's really interesting, too, because, you know, we kind of, I feel like as a society, we do kind of value, you know, if you're, it's always about if you have the talent, use your talent for good and use it for glory and use it for, you know, bringing honor to whether it's like your country or whether it's your family or whatever, Um but I think, you know, there is something to be said about kind of sometimes taking the backseat, not necessarily like, sure, sure. yeah, and like, you know, not necessarily literally like taking the, you know, backseat, not doing anything. But I think, um, you know, it's not always about the glory. It's often about the like your own personal journey. Um, so I don't know. What do you think about that, Jovan? Do you think that um, do you think that all these like great people, um, even in their lifetimes, could they be defined as like great because they had like a really like dynamic personal journey maybe uh definitely definitely uh yeah so like uh speaking of like kind of shine away from the glory and stuff that is uh-huh. uh that does take like a very big person to have like such a remarkable intellect or abilities and then not want to be at the forefront right take yeah. a remarkable yeah. person yeah yeah, but I think what's, like, also important is being able to, like, reach out to others and share that with them, not necessarily always being recognized, which I think might yeah. be the motive for a sure, lot of them. Sure. Yeah, that's true. And I think, um, actually, wow, now that we're on this, like, whole literature <laughs> thing, um, I think about, um, you know, in the Iliad, um, Achilles is, yeah. like, um, yeah, so, you know, Achilles is, like, the main guy in the Iliad. Um, and, you know, at some, there's, like, you know, a lot of, like, and a lot of the Iliad, he's just fighting, you know, for glory and he's fighting to be recognized because that's what, you know, a proud 
um, a good, honorable, like, Grecian man was supposed to do. Um, but, you know, eventually he kind of realizes, oh, you know what, I don't really want to fight, even though I'm the greatest of the greatest. Like, he does, he just doesn't have that desire to fight. So I think, I don't know, it's really important to recognize, you know, that you have to, re- like, respect the individual's choice as well. Um, and you have to respect that people, you know, like, just because our society values something doesn't mean that the individual necessarily values that thing. And sometimes that does lead to problems. But and at other times, say, whether it's with Achilles not wanting to go to a war that he thinks is unjust or that he just doesn't feel like fighting, or whether it's with, um, you know, Sydney and Tale of Two Cities um, just kind of taking the backseat. I think it's, you know, it doesn't really do any harm for the world. It's just something that we have to understand and something we have to respect about each other. For sure, for sure. But yeah, I think just like overall, like everything we've said, like I definitely resonate with just in today's society. I feel like there's definitely that pressure to be recognized for a certain skill or something. But at the same time, you have to sort of take into account what you value and what you believe, whether that be being recognized or helping other people out or using it, but not necessarily um, like basking in the limelight. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. And thank you so much, Jovan, for this awesome segment. And thanks for, you know, stirring this insightful conversation. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun and thought-provoking. Um, sadly, we are out of time, but thank you to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be the Star You Are, and our Voice America Kids crew, especially our engineer, Matt. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world, and thank you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. I'm Zara Hassanin. And I'm Maria Wong. You have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For more information on creative community, go to www.btysa.org and our main site at www.bethestarur.org. Until next week, remember, be kind, be understanding, and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. Produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines if you would let yourself